the other thing is having conversations with one another about why our minds, our hearts, and our eyes have been open. So if there's an experience that has impacted you, begin to talk to your friends about it and understand it's hard work because not everybody gets how serious it is. And I made a comment that we can walk around with our hands up and comply and still die. Welcome to another episode of the Wichita Life Podcast. My name is Landon. Today we have a couple sponsors for the show. Our first sponsor is Medi's Mediterranean Grill. Medi's is a fast casual Mediterranean restaurant with the best hummus in Wichita. If you don't believe me, go check it out. Medi's is located at Rock and Harry, Washington and Douglas, or on Greenwich and 21st. Our next sponsor is Il Primo Espresso Cafe. Il Primo is the oldest coffee shop in Wichita and one of my favorites. They have a wide array of drink options, so you can try something new each time you go or stick with your favorite. Check out their locations on the main floor of the Epic Center or at Central and Woodlawn today. I want to start off today's episode with a quote from Maya Angelou. Do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Today's guest is Brandon Johnson. Brandon is a Wichita native born and raised and is the District 1 Council member on the Wichita City Council. And he is also the sole African American on this council. I really wanted to talk to Brandon about his perspective about the protests, rallies, and black injustice following the tragic death of George Floyd. This was a really good conversation that really opened my eyes to what's going on in our city and the country in general. Please feel free to reach out to Brandon for any further questions, but enjoy my conversation with Brandon Johnson. All right, I'm here with Brandon Johnson. How are you doing, Brandon? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. Um, can you just briefly introduce yourself for people that don't know you? Yeah, so I serve on the Wichita City Council, representing District 1, uh, going into my third year in office, and uh, also the vice chair of the Kansas Democratic Party. Awesome. Can you just briefly kind of talk about the city council in general? I don't know if a lot of people know how it works or what you do, um, so can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so we're a council manager form of government. We have a city manager who kind of runs the city. He's the one employee of the city council. There's uh, seven of us, the mayor who okay. is elected at large, and then there's six districts, so I represent District 1. And we're just responsible for the daily governing of the city. And, and right now, with everything going on, the police, uh, at least Wichita Police Department, falls under us. Okay. Um, how often? Is it yearly elections for city council? It's uh, it's staggered, but it's okay. every four years. So every I was elected years. in 2017. I'm up for re-election next year. Okay. Um, last year, of course, we had an election mayor. And District 5, District 2, and District 4. Okay. Um, and can you just talk about a little bit about like, I guess you mentioned like the police is underneath you. What kind of, I guess, power, I don't know if that's the word I want to use, but what kind of power does the city council hold as far as like policies and that kind of thing? So we kind of, we adopt formal policy. So folks right now looking for policy change, uh, the chief can do that on his own and it gets ratified by the city manager. Uh, we as a policy body though can say, this is the direction we want our city to go. And then the city manager would implement that with the police chief. So we can't on our own individually change things, but we can have those conversations with the city manager and the police chief and work towards policy change. Okay, very cool. Um, one question. So I, I have several questions of my own. And I also crowdsource some questions. So um, somebody asked, can you explain the process of how income from taxes are allocated towards um, schools or parks or sidewalk maintenance act or police department, I guess, for that matter? Um, can you talk about how that happens? 
Yeah, got the deep questions. Um, <laughs> Off the bat. To, to explain the best I can without taking an hour, um, Cedric County has a county-wide sales tax. And half of that goes to the city of Wichita, half of that goes to the county. Okay. And the half that comes to the city, um, well, part of it goes to roads and bridges. A lot of that was Kellogg. So folks who were mm -hmm. talking about Kellogg being under construction since yep. we were kids, that's where that money was going. Um, but it's leaving now. Um, when you look at your property tax, though, that property tax is broken down into different areas. Some comes to the city, some goes to the county, some goes to the state. Uh, the county gets all of the money and cuts the check back to the city. Okay. And then they cut the check to the state. So that's where that gets divided. Breaking down where those percentages go into our budget is the longer discussion. Our general sure. fund has several funding sources, state, federal, county, property taxes, some of our special assessments, other things like that all go into that general fund. The police budget is a part of our general fund and it makes up about half. I forget the actual percentage, mm -hmm. but goes into that. Um, the key thing that I try to tell people, though, is even though our budget looks really big, over $600 million, our departments are actually all kind of not funded to their fullest extent. So sure. there's a lot of hiring or, or vacancies that aren't filled, yeah. things that, that could be done. So it, it's complex. I mean, Mark Manning is our city treasurer. He's always open to sit down and go through our budget and all of the funding sources and what can and cannot be spent on certain items. So sure. definitely uh, people can reach out to me and I can set that meeting up. Very cool. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, link up your information. So if anybody wants to have that conversation. Um, so I think the main thing um, I wanted to talk about, especially with you, is just everything going on right now in America with the racial injustice. Um, I think a lot of stuff has been brought to light. I mean, it's in recent years, but especially with like Ahmaud Aubrey and then most recently George Floyd, um, the tragic death. Um, so I guess just real quick for people that are listening, um, Brandon is black. I'm white. I grew up in Andover. Um, and so Andover being a suburb, there's not a whole lot of diversity in there. And so there's a whole lot of white male privilege baked into that. Um, so I'm here mainly to learn from you. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people listening are. Um, but the first question I have is, how has the conversation around police brutality and racism um, changed over time? And is that conversation different now than it has been in past years? Um, if we're looking Wichita specific, it is a little different nationwide though, and where this uprest is no. I mean, the, the conversation was always excessive force and brutality. And I think at <clears> some point it became an anti law enforcement sentiment perception for many, mm -hmm. whereas it was just treat us like you treat other people. Sure. And it's hard to, to break it down like that. And, and people start throwing numbers at you, but a lot of the issue was around justice. So if we saw a uh, officer do something to a white male or even a white woman, mm -hmm. that officer would probably be reprimanded a little faster. Um, and not, not every time. And that's also the issue. Like sometimes right. law enforcement just gets away with it. Yeah. Um, and we've been vocal about it. Um, here in Wichita, we've been vocal about a lot of policy change and we've seen it shift from Chief Williams now to Chief Ramsey. Uh, you know, that's not saying we're perfect. We still have our issues, but the way we engage, the policies have changed. Gang file policy has changed. The chief is supporting more training and getting better training for our officers. So all of those things are happening. We're on the road to improvement. So a lot of our issues right now, aside from some of the uh, families who've lost someone to uh, our police department, has been around what does harassment look like? How can mm -hmm. we better police? How can we not harass and write tickets for little things? How can we focus on the, the real issues in the community? And this chief also knows that it's a community thing that we need. So not only community policing, but we need more social workers. We need better mental health services, all of those things to go mm -hmm. into helping our police department be better. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, I know a couple things that stand out that the police department, I mean, it does pretty well here. Um, one, the, that first rally, I think was really cool that they cooperated with, I don't know who set that up, the Black Alliance or whoever set that up, but that, I think that was really cool to see. And I know a couple years ago, um, I don't know if it was a Black Lives Matter protest or another protest like that, that kind of almost turned into like a um, police department picnic almost, which was really cool. Just to have them in the community, I think is important. And um, I know it's different, uh, which has a different scale than kind of what some of the country scene, but um, I know one thing people kind of bring up is, is it just a few bad apples versus the whole force? Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Cause I know obviously there's a lot of great police policemen and, um, and servicemen, but like there are some bad apples is what people say. What are your thoughts on that? Well, actually, let me give you two things. So you brought up the, the barbecue that happened, the first steps barbecue. So before I was on city council, I'm a community activist. I still am. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, organized by AJ Bohannon, Dewan Wash, myself, Chief Ramsey and Pastor Herman Hicks. And we all sat down and kind of came to the agreement for that. What was lost in that whole message, everyone was really happy to see the unity, and the basketball playing and the music and the food. But the focus of the barbecue was none of that. It was actually policy change. And okay. so the chief, the sheriff, the mayor at the time came out and they stood in front of, it was about 400 people that surrounded them. They were, altogether, mm-hmm. there was three or 4,000 people at McAdams, but there was about 400 or so people that surrounded. And for 90 minutes, it was a Q&A and commitments. So policy change was committing to crisis intervention training. Well, the chief committed to that and we're seeing it increase with our officers. The chief committed to supporting a special prosecutor in um, police excessive force for shootings. We weren't able to get that bill passed because the legislature isn't bold enough to do it yet. So what he did was work out an agreement with the sheriff's department. So if WPD is involved in excessive force or shooting, the sheriff's department will uh, investigate. Okay. Uh, he also committed to making improvements in the gang file. That message was lost. So that was all about policy change and kind of what I was talking about earlier. Sure. Yeah. And cause um, I think I just saw it on the news or wherever. And I think that's what came across rather than the main point. Um, when right. did, uh, chief Ramsey, when did he, when was he instated? Uh, 2016. All of okay. that happened his first year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think people will be happy to hear that there are some of those policies in Wichita, um, as far as like extra um, investigations and stuff with um, excessive force and that kind of thing. I think people will be happy to hear that. I, I didn't know there's an emphasis on that right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a lot of policy change that came out of that um, and he continued to make commitments and that was why people like him is he said, okay, we have an issue. Let's fix that and let's keep moving. Mm-hmm. And we've continued to see him try to shift uh, the narrative around there. There was an issue of over-policing in Northeast Wichita he looked at, all right, let's go ahead and focus on things that need to be focused on, but at the same time, let's not harass folks. So if you're investigating a house, focus on that house, not everybody going up and down the block. Yeah, absolutely. Um, How has your experience with racism been, I guess, real quick, are you from Wichita originally or did you grow up here? Born and raised. Okay. Um, So what has your experience been with racism here in Wichita? Uh, I think I've seen it at every level. First time I really noticed it, I think was first grade. Uh, I was in class and, you know, in first grade, you're spelling cat and dog and all of that stuff. My grandmother has a, a master's and was a nurse. So I was kind of a little past that. She made sure of that. So mm-hmm. when we get in class, I'd always have my hand up. I knew all the answers and I had a, a white teacher who just wouldn't call on me or would tell me things were wrong. And I was confused by that and finally figured out that there was an issue. My mom had to break it down that I was a smart young black kid. Yeah. And that's not always accepted. And so I began to see it then. Uh, I saw it in school and uh, 
various grade. Well, third through fifth grade, I was at Buckner. I had diverse teachers. Mm -hmm. We had a black principal. So I didn't really experience anything at Buckner. When I went to Jordan, I had a Spanish teacher. Mm -hmm. I had a 90, I think it was a 92% in that class. Every assignment I had was an A. Yeah. Figured all of this stuff out. And I had my report card and I had an F. And I tried to figure out why do I have an F? And I went and, you know, told the teacher that's not true. And she said it mm -hmm. was. And then my mom had to come up there and we handed out all the assignments because she kept them all. Right. And said, okay, so how does my son get an F with all of these A's? So they went back and fixed it. And the teacher, I think, got reprimanded. But, you know, that was that. I got arrested at 19. And the racial profiling piece of that was it was assumed because I was wearing black jeans and a black and gray shirt that I was in a gang and I was calling out brutality. And they basically told me if I didn't shut up, it would happen to me. Well, I didn't. And it did happen to me. And wow. I began to wonder, wow. would this happen to somebody else who was doing that? And the attorney I had became a judge later. And he told me that day, he said, you're black. You called out something that you probably they wanted you to shut your mouth. And if you fight this, they're going to harass you. Well, that was the same narrative I was hearing from my friends about being harassed by WPD. And it was the black ones because I'd have white friends I'd ride with and they'd curse an officer out if they got pulled over. Right. And it was just, hey, calm down, go home, chill out. Right. But when it was us, it wasn't that same type of deal. It was get out of the vehicle. What's going on? You guys doing drugs. So you start to see those types of things. And that's just a few instances. That's right. not walking around. I did an experiment at the mall when I was 21. So I like mm -hmm. to wear my, my normal jeans and my polos and I would go to the mall and I would see older white folks kind of avoid me and kind of stay away and, or clinch their purse. Right. And so I'd go home because I worked, I was a professional. I'd go home and put my suit on and I'd come back to the mall within 20 minutes. So I'd see yeah. the same people and I'd get the kind of cautious, but a smile or a wave. So it, it's okay to be black when you have on a suit and tie, but when you're wearing a polo and jeans, you're scary for whatever reason. And I've seen, I've done that a couple of times over wow. the years just to see. That's interesting. Did you ever, did you ever share the results of that experiment with people in any aspect? No, at the time I, I just did it to see it wasn't yeah. to prove a point to them or ask sure. them why. And I think I was too young at the time to really go there. I just noticed it. If I yeah. was, if I was to do it now, I might. But even then, I, I just know racism is there. So it's not always right. worth it for me to walk up to you and say, hey, you didn't talk to me when I was wearing this. But right. now I'm wearing this and now you're saying hi. Right. So did, did a lot of these ex experiences, I'm assuming, helped lead you to want to be on the city council then? No, you know, I never wanted to be in public office. Um, you know, Dr. King is an idol of mine, uh, mm -hmm. a hero, and he changed the world without ever holding office. And that was one of the things that was in my head was, I don't necessarily want to govern. I want to make sure that these types of things don't happen, continue to happen to people as they were back then. Although it's gotten better, it's still there. How can we continue to improve that? It was that activism that had other people continue to urge me to think about running for office. And I'd say no, felt like I was too young. Um, and then finally, you know, the right people said it. And I said, all right, I'll think about it. Yeah. Um, and being, I was 29 when I announced. So it was still kind of young. Yeah. Uh, but I got more support than I thought. And I think that just came from the years of activism. And then when 2017 came around, we made a bigger announcement and now I'm here, but this was something I would have said some years ago. Nope. Never being yeah. office. Not, don't want to just want to work in the private sector somewhere. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know if, I mean, it is kind of early cause next year's reelection, but are you planning on running again? Oh yeah. yeah. Cool. We okay. just started talking about that with the team trying to reassemble everybody. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
let me just see. I had a few other questions that a little more detailed that some people offered up. Um, I guess one question is, are there, besides kind of the stuff you mentioned, are there any, or what racial issues specific to Wichita are the most prevalent and what could be done to help make a change to those? That question really depends on who you ask. So mm-hmm. for me, the focus is when you look at minority businesses and you mm-hmm. look at the discrepancies there, there's a lack of access to funding, uh, lack of relationships with banks. And we saw when a pandemic hits, which once in a lifetime, but right. not having that access to banks and SBA really hurt opportunities to get PPP funding from, mm-hmm. from Congress. So trying to fix that, when you look at the revenue disparities, uh, white businesses make more than black and brown businesses. Right. And people can look at that and say population, but some of the same businesses doing the same things just don't have the same access. Mm-hmm. Urban renewal was a big issue with that in the black community. So 135 split the black community, but that's where the business hub was. Mm-hmm. So once that happened, it killed businesses because people can just drive over instead of going through there, maybe stopping at a business and shopping like we right. do in other parts of town, like Delano. You don't right. drive over Delano, you drive through, you say, hey, there's a pizza spot. Let me go to it. Yeah. So those things are happening. That's a really big disc- uh, discrepancy. There's health disparities. When you look at 67214, the highest asthma rates in Wichita, well, you think about the highway being there, all those gases coming off in the community, mm-hmm. uh, food deserts, lack of access to fresh produce. You have all of these health disparities building up in one area, and we don't focus enough efforts in that area as well. When you look at uh, spending, government spending, part of my campaign was talking about the lack of spending in black and brown communities and lower income communities. So it went bigger than, than race at that point and making sure that it's equitable and not in the sense of every council district should get the same, but thinking mm-hmm. about east, west, and downtown that had all this investment, both private and public. Um, what about these core areas that really need that infrastructure investment, infrastructure improvements and improved parks and things like that? Mm-hmm. So there's discrepancies in different areas. My focus is the things I just talked about to make sure that we have that equitable spending model so we can get more investment in the areas, dealing with those health disparities, trying to get grocery stores, and then trying to empower uh, minority-owned businesses and Black-owned businesses. Because again, I just believe if you focus on where you have weak links and Mm -hmm. you strengthen those, you strengthen everything. Yeah. Uh, Geographically, is there, what, what is district one? That you cover. This one's pretty big. So um, there's some squiggly lines. So I'll just give you the main streets, mm-hmm. but 53rd Street to the north. Mm-hmm. Uh, the western border, for the most part, is 135. Mm-hmm. Once you get down to about 17th Street or 19th Street, you go down to Washington. Mm-hmm. And then Washington down to Douglas, everything between Douglas and Kellogg at Washington down to the Rivers District 1. Okay. And then going out south, uh, you go down to Mount Vernon. Mm-hmm. And then um, and the eastern border is where it's tricky. So there's Hillside for a part. Mm-hmm. And then at Kellogg, it goes up to Woodline. Mm-hmm. And then there's Woodline going around Eastboro. And then when you get to about between 21st and 29th Street, it edges towards Rock Road. Okay. And then Rock Road all the way out to Bel Air. And it sure. circles Bel Air to 53rd Street. Okay. Yeah, I was kind of curious on that. Um, one question we had was... Uh, are there any policies that we could implement, which I think it might help. I mean, they, it all ties together, but the businesses and everything, but specifically to curb against what somebody called white flight um, and kind of the natural separation of races into like black neighborhoods and white neighborhoods. Is there any type of policy that could implement to help something like that? That's a really good question. That's something that we might have to, to look into to see. Um, only thing I could think of is you kind of get into that whole, um, 
um, and it's not negative, just, just your freedom to live yeah. where you want to. Right. So if people move into your neighborhood and you want to move out, no, it's something to look at pattern wise. Um, and, and I also experienced that my mother and I moved into a neighborhood back in 95, mm-hmm. um, this actual house we're in right now. And the neighborhood was pretty much white except for us and one other neighbor. Mm-hmm. And over about 10 years, it became more people of color here. So black and brown. Mm-hmm. And haven't figured out why. I mean, you know, we kept our yard up and everything. The, the street was nice and clean. Nothing changed. We weren't out with loud music or anything. You know, we yeah. just noticed people leaving. Sure. Are there any, um, I guess, what are the, some possible hindrances to positive change for minority communities? Is it like resources, money, volunteers? Um, somebody was asking that. And has there been any efforts to seek assistance from like private charitable organizations like churches or anything like that? Yeah. Um, all of those things are needed. Mm-hmm. A lot of the issue though becomes just this opposition to say that we're looking for handouts and sure. that if we don't have issues and when we try to break it down, it's, well, you know, you're free. We've had a black president. You don't, you're not oppressed. You can yeah. do what you want. And it's like, okay, we hear you. That's not true, but we hear you at the same time. Historically, we're playing catch up. We're playing catch up from Redline and we're playing catch up from the New Deal, which excluded black folks. Um, And that started to build generational wealth. And people haven't been able to really comprehend that a poor white person and a black person, the the poor white person still has more privilege than this black person. If Mm -hmm. if you had to go, I guess, benefit of the doubt, that white person would likely get the benefit of the doubt over the black person. So it's the hardest part is just talking through that. Um, and then once you get through that, then people begin to understand some of the other things. But yes, we need help from churches. But even with our churches, sometimes they don't have the most funding. They're mm-hmm. not the most connected. Right. I think the biggest church we have that's black is St. Mark United Methodist Church. But that doesn't compare to a central Christian church, which mm-hmm. is huge on 29th and Woodlawn or Rock Road. So mm-hmm. you just start looking at those things and there's different disparities. Um, but grants come in, federal funding, CDBG should be going to lower income areas, uh, communities of color and trying to make sure those investments happen. But the, the true thing to lift everybody up um, is just financial empowerment. And again, it's not like the handout, but it's making sure that renters have access to funding to buy a home instead of renting. Mm-hmm. I can take you through areas of District 1 where you have people renting a house that's falling apart, but because of their credit or some type of issue in their background, they don't qualify for a loan or their debt to equity ratios off. Right. But Habitat for Humanity can build a house for you and you might pay five thirty a month to own that house, but you're renting a piece of garbage for seven fifty. Right. But because of lack of access to funding, you can't own a house, which then is something you can borrow against later, like everyone else. So right. there's a lot of complex issues there that we need to work through. But really, it's just setting people up to have that hand up mm-hmm. and not to hand out. We're not saying give everybody fifty thousand dollars, but it's how can I empower you to have things that you can borrow against later or pass down to your kids understand what life insurance is. A lot of folks got to start because a parent passed and they was able to get twenty five dollars to $50,000 where they could use that to start a business or mm-hmm. at least stay afloat. So it's those types of things that are necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I want to talk about. So at the rally, you mentioned you kind of had a challenge for everybody. And a quote that stuck in my mind was, um, this rally is great. It's a good step. But you, one, you're sick of coming, happening to go to these rallies under those circumstances. Um, but one of your quotes was, but we still have work to do. 
Um, and so I guess actionable items or actionable steps, not just for the black community, but for the white community or I guess non-black allies, um, what are some actionable steps we could take? Because I think sometimes we're afraid to ask what those steps are, how to help, or we, maybe we want to help, but we're not vocal about it. What are some of those steps? So, so there's a few things. I'll start with the politics. So we take the partisanship out of it. Doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. If these are issues you care about, you talk to the people that represent you and the folks running to represent you. Mm-hmm. And you know, let's say um, you want to see a hate crime bill because we don't have one in Kansas. Well, you would ask that person, you know, whoever they are, I want to see hate crime legislation. Is that something you'll stand with? And you get firm with them and say, if you don't support this type of item, I won't vote for you, even sure. if it's your favorite person. Um, so I tell people, let's use me. If it's something that we need to do and I say no, then I shouldn't get your vote. Right. And it, it, to me, it's, it's that simple. And having those conversations, and if they need the education around that, then talking to them about your experience and why you care and why you're passionate and seeing where they are. The other challenge is anybody running for the state legislature right now who's already an incumbent, so mm-hmm. a rep or a senator, they're all up for re-election. They have the ability to pre-file legislation this year right now. They don't have to be in session. So if, if it's something that we need and we do need hate crime legislation, we need to look at a possible statewide ban on chokehold, some of the demands the cities receive that you see out there, mm-hmm. then we should be demanding that right now, the people running to represent us and the candidates as well. Will they do it when they get into office so that we can see it happen? And then making sure this stuff happens because it's a continual conversation. We can go back over the years and see how many times Representative Finney has introduced the body cam bill just to have access to that footage or mm-hmm. hate crime legislation, I think has been proposed six or seven times, but it just doesn't get out of committee. So we have to hold those folks accountable. The other thing is having conversations with one another about why our minds, our hearts, and our eyes have been opened. So if there's an experience that has impacted you, begin to talk to your friends about it and understand it's hard work because not everybody gets how serious it is. Right. Uh, I had a teammate that, you know, we played football. We back then would maybe talk about not seeing color. I always have because I've experienced it. But on the field, you know, those guys are my brothers. And then I just made this comment one day when the gentleman in Oklahoma was killed by law enforcement. He had his hands up. They later mm-hmm. tried to say, you know, he was on different drugs and stuff. That part doesn't matter if his hands was up and he was cooperating. Right. You know, after he's killed that what he's on isn't important. Right. And I made a comment that we can walk around with our hands up and comply and still die. And that individual reached out and said, you know what? I used to not listen to that. I didn't believe it but now I've witnessed it and I'm sorry and I won't yeah. say it anymore. And so it's, it's just having those conversations. I encourage him to talk to other people about that. But as you talk through these things and just, if you get out of the, some of the divisions that are naturally there, even if you get out of a saying black lives matter and you just think, is it okay for the one uh, gentleman who had a autistic client he was sitting next to, was it okay that an officer shot him? If that answer is yes, we need to keep talking about kind of your value system because he shouldn't have been shot. You know, is it okay that um, in that same circumstance, you have somebody who goes into a church and kills nine people, but he's arrested peacefully. He can get Burger King and he can go await trial. So if this is a country that believes in justice and the justice system, keep these people alive to go through court and have their day in court. It's just having those different conversations, but the most powerful testimony is the one that changed you. And I say that to everybody. So if your eyes are open, have that, but also understand your friends and family may not agree. You may lose friends. You may have family that may not talk to you, 
that may be uncomfortable and it sucks, but it still doesn't compare to the treatment that black people get in this country. So as bad as it is for you in the moment, just think every day, somebody might be looking at you different. Somebody might have a judgment against you. If you get pulled over, are you nervous? Because even as a city council member, if I got pulled over, I'm nervous. When police get behind me to this day, I'm looking like, man, am I, am I speeding? Is something wrong? Uh, you know, I might have a cigar or so in my car. Will right. this be interpreted as, as marijuana? Like all of these thoughts go through my mind today at 34. So I don't know a lot of people who are white or yeah, who are white, who think like that. I mean, it's right. kind of, all right, I'm getting pulled over. What is it? You're, you're irritating me. You're holding me up. You know, we don't have that luxury. So yeah. The uncomfortableness of having those conversations is a really powerful step because that opens you up. And then the other thing is to talk through some of this, look at the data, talk to people kind of like you're doing right now with me mm-hmm. and have these conversations, but also understand not every black person really wants to talk about this because we yeah. just live it every day. And yeah. honestly, even this week, I went through a couple of days. I didn't care to talk about it at all. Like this was just an experience and I have this weight on me. Uh, so I'm just getting back into a space to where I can because so many people want to talk about it but it's talking through these issues, seeing the historical context of it, and then trying to figure out what policy changes can happen, but also truly recognizing it's not anti-law enforcement, the stuff that we're talking about. It truly is just having a better department. And I guess lastly, when black people argue for change, it benefits everybody. So if we got to a point where we're banning chokeholds, well, that means a white person won't get a chokehold on them. If we talk about, de-escalation techniques well that means a white person will have de-escalation techniques used on them instead of brute force so the things we're arguing for benefit everybody but we highlight the disparities that black people have to try to get those changed yeah wow that was that was very powerful that was just a lot in that um i have to go back and re-listen to that that was good um i I think a couple things that stood out were just yeah like you said i've never had to worry about getting pulled over or any interactions with police. And I think that's, again, just some of that white privilege that we don't even have to deal with it. And then another point was, like you said, um, you're getting kind of worn out from some of these conversations, which I think is good that people are reaching out to you to have these conversations. But I've heard other people say too, it's exhausting. And it's almost, I don't know if annoying is the word, but that white people have the privilege to educate themselves about this rather than you who've had to live this for 34 years. And I think, but I I do think again, it's got to start somewhere. And I, and I really appreciate you coming on to have these conversations. Um, Just a couple more quick questions that I had. Um, I guess one of which it's, it may seem like a simple question almost, but um, I think some people are again, afraid to ask, but like black or African American, is there a preference? Does it matter? Do you have a preference of what you're called? Uh, I, I don't care. And it's kind of generational. So the background on it for some people, um, and I'll say what an elder said to me, they like African-American because it still roots you to Africa, mm-hmm. but also shows you're an American. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to say that, but I, I went more to black because of the history of it. So what folks don't know is in slavery, um, there were records of slaves and where they came from and what kind of help you trace your genealogy. Um, some of those, those were kept when slavery was there because they wanted to know. And, you know, maybe they had their own reasoning for it. And then when you get into more of the reconstruction and you get into some of us being free, a lot of these records were kept in black churches. Well, then those black churches get bombed and burned down. And part of that, I believe, was the reason. So then we lose our history. So I can't tell you right now where in Africa we came from. 
Sure. Or at least my family. I can tell you, I know that we, we are descendants of that, but maybe we came from another part of Africa that, that I'm not aware of. Mm-hmm. My grandmother was actually one generation. My great grandmother was one generation out of slavery. Mm. Um, and so she actually worked, I think her parents were slaves and somehow they were able to get their freedom, which led into my grandmother and down to us, but I don't mm-hmm. know where we came from right. and there's no records of it. Those records have been destroyed. So for me, I'm black. Um, I refer to myself as black. If somebody calls me African-American, I don't care, but there's a distinction I think between the younger generation, like 40 and under and the older generation I'm black and African-American. But I don't think you will offend anybody by saying African-American. Okay. They'll just, they'll, they correct you. If you say black, some people might get upset by that. Sure. Um, I do have a friend, um, a friend of mine from high school married a black girl here in town. And she was mentioning something. Her dad told her once, somebody had asked him, do you prefer black or African-American? He said, I prefer if you called me by blank, his name, which I think is where we need to head. But again, there's cases where you do need to um, say it. So I guess one more question I had was, so there's obviously like the Black Lives Matter movement and that's the verbiage behind it. And then some people kind of have the, they reply with all lives matter. What is your normal response? I've seen some um, kind of good cartoons and little like stories that explain that, but what is yeah. your response to the all lives matter response? Uh, normally I ask, when did that start? And normally I don't get a response and mm-hmm. I tell people it didn't start until folks said black lives matter. And what it is is a negative uh, contradictory response to that to try to say, well, every life is important. And what we just say back is we know that, but the right. problem is here with black lives, these are the things going on and it's not been acknowledged. So we want to focus on this right now. The other thing that, that we've seen is there's a counter to, to when people bring out this false comparison of black on black crime crime is proximate. So if you look at white on white crime, it's like 83 to 86%. Black on black crime is about the same. I dare to uh, venture to say Latino crime is the same. I haven't looked at it yet, Mm -hmm. but that's proximate and it has nothing to do with what Black Lives Matter was started around. Um, And often I also weave into that. We're also fighting violence in our community as well. And at that point, we don't say Black Lives or anything. We just say, how do we reduce shootings? How do we reduce violence? How do we reduce Mm -hmm. domestic violence? And we're working on that. But then we also highlight the disparities when you talk about Black Lives Matter and the fact that families don't get justice when these things happen. Because if two Black folks, John and Brandon, and one of them kill each other and say John killed Brandon, well, John's going to jail pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But if Officer Brandon kills John, Officer Brandon's getting a paid vacation and then we'll be back on the force. And then that family's like, but what about us? We don't get anything. We don't we don't even get a financial settlement. It's just, we lose our loved one and that's it. Right. So a lot of that is just talking through what it means and Black Lives Matter being focused on that disparity. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I agree hundred um, percent. I just have one more question, just to respect your time. Um, mm-hmm. But what, what does Wichita mean to you? I, I ask this question to everybody, but what does Wichita mean to you? Everything. It's, it's an opportunity. You know, I, I had a chance to leave a couple times, once for college and then another time I just considered, you know, maybe I should leave Wichita. I didn't see opportunity for myself or people of color. I didn't see any real upward mobility here. Friends of mine left and, you know, I was making, I think, 22000 a year at the time. I had a friend leave and started making 100000 pretty quickly. So, you know, we need to look at, um, one, how we can, I guess, spread that opportunity to everywhere. Mm-hmm. But to me, Wichita is that. So I see a chance that we can actually mold that here. 
Yeah. And I think that it's more tangible than it has been in the past. We, I think we're on the cusp of doing some really great things. And so for me, Wichita's opportunity, it means some real potential to change. And I think mm-hmm. Wichita can lead the country. Because even like we did with the barbecue, even though it wasn't the right narrative, uh, we led. That made nationwide news that we sat down and talked together. The thing that was missed out was just the policy change. So yeah. to me, Wichita is opportunity right now. Yeah, I agree. Um, what, where can people find you? Social media, you're on Twitter. Where are you active on social media? People can get in contact with you. Yeah, Twitter is at B Johnson ICT. Uh, Instagram is at B Johnson ICT. Facebook, my public page is facebook.com slash Johnson for Wichita. If you're mm-hmm. on there, you can just look up Councilman Brandon Johnson. Mm-hmm. And my private page or my personal page is open as well. Uh, but I'm at my friend capacity on there. And that's just Brandon J. Johnson. But yeah, I'm on all of those. I'm on LinkedIn as well. I can't remember my LinkedIn name, but just look up Brandon sure. Johnson. I'll pop up. Yeah. And I will definitely share all that stuff. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to you and has questions, um, I'll point them towards you. Um, I hope this opens some eyes in Wichita and helps educate some people on where they can get started, but really appreciate you coming on and having the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm happy to come back again, probably busy over the next two weeks trying to respond to these protests. But, uh, once we get through this and start trying to get some tangibles together, um, definitely come back and we can keep this conversation going. Absolutely. I'd love to, man. Have a good one. And I thanks again. All right. Thank you. You too. Yeah. Thank you again to everyone that listened to this episode of the Wichita Life Podcast. If you enjoyed, please rate and review our podcast on whatever app you use. If you have any recommendations, please reach out at wichitalifeict at gmail.com. Thanks again.